Hey, Long Island, this is Captain Robert Cornicelli from Veterans for a More Responsive Government. Keep your radio on 103.9 LI News Radio for all the breaking news from across the island. I always love Vets Talk with uh, the great captain, Robert Cornicelli, and his 21 years of service. Eight in the Navy, 13 in the Army, and let's not forget about the incredible organization he wrote. Veterans for a a more responsive government. And I feel like I haven't spoken to him in about a year and a half for some reason. Captain, great to have you on the segment. Good morning, Jay. How are you? How you doing? Outstanding. How about you? I'm doing good. How's it going? Hanging in there. Ha- What's that? You know I listen to the show every day. I love it. I text you every day. He does. He really does. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Which one did you like? Which show were you going to say? No, I just I love them all, but uh, um, let's get ready to rumble. Is my great, my favorite. Uh, come on. Hey, you know, the funniest thing is the captain always, he is so pumped up when Sinagra comes on the show on Tuesdays. He can't wait. And then I have to tell him while well, he's on vacation, he was on vacation this week he'll be back for this next week but i always have to let him down by saying you know what and i can't send agra today <laughs> so, so that's that is not good did, how was the uh uh did you go, attend the back the blue deal in eisenhower park what was that all about i i could not go um certain days are set aside for my kids so uh but i heard it was an amazing event yeah i heard it was really good and you got a big event coming up on Friday. Talk about that for a sec. Yeah, so again, we're having another um, <clears throat> Heroes Rally. We should have, uh, you know, we're getting reports between 500 and 1,000 people. Uh, again, it's it's heroes. It's the EMS. It's the firemen, the veterans, military, thanking law enforcement for what they do. And uh, you can't thank them enough. It's, uh, it's every day they wake up and kiss their kids goodbye and they say, God, you know, I hope I get home. So we got to thank them for that. And that's going to happen over at uh, Miller's Ale House, Comac, Vets Highway, 5 o'clock, right? Correct. It's in that parking lot. Miller's gave us permission. Uh, we originally had it at the Mayfair parking lot, but their property managers wanted no part in this. So uh, we, we moved it, and we want to thank Miller's. Yeah, good stuff. Listen, uh, anytime you could... You can support uh, the great men and women in blue. Uh, do it, folks. Uh, believe me, we, we need to do that. And, you know, I was watching, and we got a good lineup uh, today, by the way. In a couple of minutes, we're going to talk with George Santos. He happens to be a candidate, by the way, regarding the third congressional. Uh, he's running on the Republican side right there, Cap. So uh, we'll talk talk to George and a couple. Also, you have uh, author Ralph Morales coming on as Saints uh, letters uh, from the depths of hell. We'll get into that. We'll give you kind of a liver fluke update as well. Building 11 Northport, VA. Uh, we'll find out what's going on there. You know, one note regarding enforcement and everything else. I don't know if you caught it yesterday. Um, you know, I was watching these hearings with Bill Barr, and it was an absolute disgrace. Absolute disgrace. It, it's almost like the recognition of what's happening out there in Portland and trying to protect a federal courthouse uh, has been swept under the rug. You know, it's all about what people are kind of viewing and posting in their own mindset as far as the abuse from law enforcement on to protesters. We're not talking about civilized protesters here. We're talking about individuals whose 
whose only realm of thinking is to commit mayhem. And that's what you're seeing right now in various cities, mainly in Portland and Seattle and whatnot here. But it's just uh, disgraceful uh, how we have gone about our business of treating law enforcement around this country. It really is. It's terrible. You know, I watched, I watched far, and I took notes on what congr- uh, congressperson, how each congressperson treated Bill Barr. And if you read some of this book, um, you, you can see the letters from veterans about the person in the book. And it's respectful, it's love, it's caring, it's, it's amazing. And you know the most disrespectful congressperson, or, or the, the congresspeople that were the most disrespectful are the ones who never served. You could see they were just not raised to show respect. They were only there to make a statement, and it's sad because uh, the country's falling apart. It's very sad to see what's uh, going on right now uh, in and around our, our great land. Uh, hard to believe. Well, I'll tell you, what a year this has been. Um, while we await candidate Santos, um, give me a little bit of an update. What's happening as far as Building 11, Northport, uh, VA? You're right on top of this. Uh, uh, what's the latest? Where are we at here? Funding and everything else. Where are, we, where are we going here? So Beacon House was ready to move back in there, get our vets back onto that campus where, uh, you know, you don't need a two-hour bus ride to get your treatment. And the same company, and, and this is an LLC, they, they look to jump into these contracts all over the world. Um, they protested it a third time. Uh, and and they, they look at these smaller contracts as, as a gateway to get the huge contracts. Like in New York City, they got like a, uh, a couple of hundred million dollar contract. So they try to get into the smaller ones to build up their company. But they're, they're not in it for the veteran. They're not, it's not a Beacon House or a Phoenix House. Uh, so they've held up the process and hurt veterans already three times. You talk about 2018, January, right? So about three years come this January. All for profit, not, not, a, not a Frank Amalfitano. So it's on hold again. I called them, asked them to come on the show and explain why they're doing it, and uh, they won't do it. Of course not, because, you know, that would expose them as far as what's going on here. And uh, quite frankly, the more you talk about this, this is why you got to keep talking about this stuff. I mean, that's the only the only way you're going to get things done here. So we'll see what happens there. Captain, let's introduce our next guest. Go ahead, sir. First guest. So Mr. George Santos, he's a candidate for New York's 3rd Congressional District. And uh, we invited him on. He jumped at the opportunity. Now, he came down to... Um, I think uh, he came down to our last rally. He was well-received, and uh, I think he's a good guy. Without further ado, Mr. Santos. George, welcome to the show. Best talk. You're on with hey. Jay and uh, Captain Cornicelli. How are you? Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. Great to have you, George. Are you uh, are you geared up uh, for November? Uh, let's hear your thoughts. Why don't you give the folks a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I'm geared up. I'm pumped. It was it was a great showing of support um, for the for law enforcement in general on Saturday at Eisenhower Park. Uh, just so people know a little bit about me, I'm a Queens native, born and raised in New York City, uh, first generation American. Uh, I am, as I t- say constantly, I am the American dream, and I want to continue to tell people that the American dream is still alive. And in order to keep it alive. We need to make sure we keep common sense folks in power, specifically people who respect, you know, American values, respect veterans who 
fought and, and put themselves on the line so that I can be afforded the, the, the benefits and liberties of staying in this great safe nation and, and sovereign nation, thanks to the men and women who go out there to keep us safe here. Um, and, and I believe that we're only going to prosper and continue to prosper as a nation if we keep that mentality alive instead of what actually is, is going on in, 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 our, in our political scene nowadays. You know, so th- that's ultimately uh, my belief. But uh, business guy, 32 years old, went to school in New York, has a BA and an MBA. My entire life is in New York State. Uh, never really left for college or anything like that. I love this city. I love this state. I think that, you know, uh, people who run away are cowarding. Uh, I believe more in stand your ground and, and fight for what you believe in and and that's why I'm running for Congress, because I believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, George, and where, George, oh, go ahead, Kevin, go ahead. George, one of the big problems uh, I have, our veterans group has, and I, and I know it's a problem that Jake just can't, can't take anymore, committees and, and, and bills being held up in committees. Um, we need someone who's going to fight that. Make sure that, especially when it's disabled veterans, homeless veterans, veterans with dependency issues, that when a bill is brought before a committee or a subcommittee, it moves. It, it can't sit there. That we lose twenty-two a day. So, so I'll I'll, I'll put it this way: my my opponent, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure you guys are aware, is uh, Thomas Lozzi. He's in his second term, seeking re-election for a third. He sits in the problem solvers caucus. He's also in the means and ways committee. One would think that a man like that with the history in Long Island, that he would actually speed up the, the process. Because from, from what I hear him say and from what I believe, there should be no, no such thing. And, and the word homeless and veteran should never be in the same sentence. And the level of bureaucracy in Washington and the delays of things getting stuck in committees, stuck in hearings, it, it's just unacceptable. And honestly, this goes for both sides of the aisle. I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Do your job. Don't let people wait on you because a bill sits on a committee or sits on the leader's desk for years before they get looked at properly and then potentially go up to the hearing. Because it, it baffles me that we have bills for, to better the VA system, which is something I'm very passionate about. And if you go on my website, it's actually my first issue there. It baffles me that there are bills to, to better the VA that has been sitting in Congress for in committees for three to six years. But Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, newly elected, got this enormous, ridiculous wish list of wishful liberal thinking and passed it right through within 30 days of her being voted. It didn't sit on any committee, and that's the bill is the Green New Deal. I, it really baffles me that they try to push some idiocy like that, but they ignore bills that will actually make a difference to the lives of men and women who served our country. George, bring up a good point. You know, you see what's happening right now with the stimulus package, the ping pong match that will ensue, and uh, many people await, but because of the division of what we see in Washington right now, they're going to have to wait a long time. You know, it could be several months. Well, Well, let's put it this way, several weeks, but that could lead into months, and then that's what you're seeing here. So how does the Santos name fix that? Uh, if uh, if you uh, proceed, 
and uh, defeat Swazi in November on the 3rd. I mean, and your voice heads to Washington. Uh, how do you go about making sure that Santos' voice is heard? So one thing, uh, and, and I say this story quite frank, from the very beginning of my career, I graduated during Occupy Wall Street with an economics and finance degree. Very discouraging and, and very hard to think that I would amass too much at the time. I was told from a very early day in my career from my first boss at Citigroup, yeah, you're a nice kid, but you're really never going to make it. This industry is rough and you're, you're getting started now. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. You should have done something else. I looked at him in the eye and I said, well, I think, you know, hard work and perseverance will take you far. And uh, I've come a long way from, from, from that very first interaction with him. Now we're 11 years forward. I've been in the buying, the selling, mergers and acquisitions, and fundraising side of finance, and he's still at his same job. I'm now an executive director to a company. He's still at the same position as Citigroup. So I believe that nobody can, can stop me. I, I am a go-getter. I fight hard. I grew up in a middle-class family in Queens, both my parents, immigrants, first-generation born American, and I could have easily just been, you know, happy with staying where my family was. I'm not saying it was not comfortable and there's nothing wrong, you know, with being blue collar. I just wanted a little bit more. And I went and I fought for that and, and I and I fought hard. I got an education, worked and all of that. So once I put my mind to it, you will have a bullhorn sitting in Washington at every given moment reminding people that we are not there for self interest. We are there to represent the people who sent us there. Enough of the lobbying, uh, enough of the cozying up with my dear esteemed colleague, uh, something that I'm very critical about and is, is when I see politicians up, up, uprising each other, praising each other with such my esteemed dear friend, do your job. I don't want to hear who your friend is. I don't want to hear how good and close you guys are. You need to do your job, and your job is to pass bills, deregulate when necessary, and make sure that the bills that are in, in play at the moment and the laws in play are benefiting the country in the state it is. And if there's no need to pass more nonsense, nonsensical regulation bill, regulatory bills, then don't pass them. Just because we're there to legislate doesn't mean we have to always legislate. If there's nothing wrong with the law, there's no fixing needed. You know, so, hmm. Go ahead. I just want... Uh, George Santos with us, uh, running in the third congressional. We'll go against the two-term incumbent in Tom Swasey. Uh, Captain Cornicelli, you got one? Yeah, you know, George, a lot of times I've been following the political game for about 30 years. And, 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 it, and what's very important about a candidate when they win and they pick their staff is that that staff is picked. Um, you find the best quality candidates to fill those positions, the most important Part in an office, especially a congressional office, the staff, the people that the constituents are going to reach out to. Um, I hope if you win, you get the most quality type people in there because groups like ours need liaisons, and those liaisons are the, the safeguard. You know what I mean? We, we need to be able to Absolutely. reach out and get somebody and get things moving. Like right now, you know, we're waiting on um, Congressman Swazi's representative to move a, a piece of um, a request to get a, a, a buried person at Hearts Island moved to Calverton. Waiting, 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 waiting. You know, people can't wait that long. Um, so that staff is integral. 
I, I agree, and, and that's something that I talk about very often, of how I will choose when elected my staff to make sure that I am actually serving the people with quality people. That's something I'm constantly talking about with my with my campaign team, and it's it's it's, it's always a it's always a worry. You you, you got to be honest with yourself. You got to make sure that you get the right people that is going to accommodate the community, that's going to give the community what they need, and it's really going to give them true, genuine, patriotic service. Because working for a congressman, I think is is as patriotic as it gets because it's not an easy job. <laughs> George, before we let you go, you know, listen, uh, this is a, a segment in which we really focus on our great vets. We lead the, the state, as you know, uh, as far as population, Suffolk County does, 120,000, give or take. But, you know, when it comes to benefits, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things to cite here is making sure we are on a level playing field regarding benefits. Uh, we're not even in the top 15 as far as this country is concerned. Hard to believe. And you look at the population, not only in Suffolk County, around the state. Uh, we got to do something about that. Are you up for the challenge? Are you up for the challenge to bring New York into the, uh, into the realm of thinking in that arena? Uh, absolutely. I think it's, uh, like I said, I'm going to fight for New York. I, I love the state and anything that well, any problem that I believe our state faces is is going to be my responsibility. Obviously, I'll be, you know, in D.C. representing uh, the people of New York 3, the state of New York. But ultimately, I need to think in, in a broader scale as well and consider bettering the lives of all Americans. And, and again, I hold veterans and, and law enforcement dear to my heart. I believe that the people who keep our, our community safe, our country sovereign, are people that put themselves on the line so I can sit at home and have these these interviews and this freedom of running for Congress and knowing that I'm safe, uh, I, I should dedicate a, a whole lot of my time to making sure they have all the benefits they need, all the support they have once they retire or once they're, once they're a veteran and they're no longer active um, servicemen. And, and also during their time in service, they also need to be well taken care of um, health-wise and, and whatnot. So, I'm. I don't. I don't know how to put it to you other than just by showing it to you when I'm out there. I'm as pro-military, pro-law enforcement as they get, and it's not a very popular stance to take now. I was at Eisenhower Park. Crowd accepted me and greeted me very well, and my, my opponent was nowhere to be found. And I think that's a goddamn shit. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. There's a, a lot on the table uh, as we move close to November third. We will follow your path. And hopefully have you on again. Can't thank you enough, though, for your first appearance here. Well done, and um, and good luck. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, George. All right, George. George Santos, a third uh, district congressional candidate. Uh, Captain Cornicelli, impressive there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens down the road. Let's introduce our next guest, sir. So on the line, we now have Ralph Morales. He's an author from uh, A Saint's Letters from the Depths of Hell. Uh, this is a very interesting story, Jay. Uh, I read a lot of the book. Um, good day, Jay. I mean, good day, Jay. Good day, Ralph. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good stuff. Ralph, tell us about the book. Um, it's called A Saint's Letters from the Depths of Hell, and I was reading a little bit about it. It's about a story of a 19-year-old, right, in New York City, and I think it's late 60s, if I have that correct. Revered by peers, charismatic leader, serving and everything else, family, you know, a big rock of the family. 
Give me a little bit of the background here on the storyline. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. So the, the book is about Saint Vinny Santanello. He was an uncle of mine that served in Vietnam uh, from 1967 through 68. Um, he was killed in, in, in the line of duty, so to speak. He was killed in service to the country on March 28th of 68. And I grew up in the same house he grew up in. I was born 16 months after he was killed. And uh, essentially, the book had its genesis when, after my mother died in, in 2002, we found a box of letters that she never told us about. And there were hundreds of letters from Vinny to her from Vietnam. And when I read these letters, it inspired me because I, I knew very little about my uncle. As I'm sure you guys can imagine, my grandparents, my mom, my uncle, they never spoke about Vinny. It was a very rare occurrence when we heard about him. So he was more myth than man to me growing up. And so when I found these letters, it really opened my eyes. I was like, oh, my God, not only was, was he a, a great guy, he was a young kid. He was only 19 when he was killed, and he was very close to my mother. And I never knew that because, like I said, she never spoke about him. So that inspired me to try to write the book. And for the better part of the next decade, I was trying to find men that had served with him in Vietnam. And then ultimately I found them uh, in 2014. And that sort of sparked me. I had the context that I could write about. And it gave me a lot of good information to put into the book to create these stories and to really show a, a great sense of love and appreciation for a veteran, an uncle, a loved one that I never got to meet. You know, Ralph, we were talking earlier about uh, the, the congressional hearings the other day. And, and it's so funny because I was reading your book as I was writing it, as I was watching it. And it's funny. I, I'm just going to read a couple of the, the uh, quotes from some of the people who served with them. Story of a true hero, one who's not dead but very much alive through the work we are doing. Um, Saint was my friend. Saint was my brother. I will remember you forever in my heart, my friend. Uh, let's see. I miss him every day. You just don't get this with uh, with this, uh, guys in, let's say, a political arena. You get this from people you serve with, whether it's law enforcement or fire department or military. I mean, if you read the letters about your uncle, he was loved by the people he served with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that you bring that up because the one thing that struck me when I met these individuals, uh, you're talking about Michael Reagan, John Nunn, Tony Malazzo, John Chang, Daniel King. These are men that served with him. And what struck me is that they all spoke about him in the present tense. No one spoke about him in the past tense because he's still with them in, in a very surreal way. And I never had the, the privilege of serving our country in the military. So for someone like me... It struck me uh, very greatly because I realized, my God, the bond that these men had and have with my uncle, despite the fact that he was killed more than 50 years ago, it really floored me. And it, it impressed upon me the brotherhood, the great love that these men had for each other. Obviously, uh, the underlying uh, thought was that they would die for each other in an instant. Uh, they, they had no qualms about that because that's what they were called to do. Uh, and they had no qualms, really, with dying in service to the country. And again, for someone like me that never served, that was a complete eye-opener. And it, it really struck me. I mean, you're right. My, my uncle was revered. He was, he was loved. But that could be said for any of those men out there. They, that's how they felt about each other. They didn't see each other as anything but brothers. And they were going to do anything to help each other and to serve the country, which I, I found absolutely amazing and, and truly enlightening. It really is amazing, you know, in the book and, and just kind of thumbing through it myself. I I can't wait to read it in full. But, you know, it's just amazing, uh, Ralph, when you have an individual who, I guess, uh, what, a year after graduating from high school, you're thrown 
right into the deep end of the pool in South Vietnam. Turbulent times, bloody times, you know, late 67, early 68, uh, being called upon to serve. I mean, that, that has to have an incredible mindset right there. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and speaking to his friends, John Chang is a man that not only served in Vietnam with him, but grew up with my uncle in, in Jamaica, Queens. They were best friends. And John, he said it the best. He said, you know, growing up in the late 50s and the early 60s in, in New York City, you knew that you were going to graduate high school. You were going to enlist in the service. You were going to serve your country. You were going to do it honorably. Then you'd come home. You'd get married. You'd start your family. You'd get a, well, you'd get a job. You'd start your family. And that's the way they lived. And that was the mindset. And again, uh, that is something that was completely uh, eye-opening to me because that's not necessarily the mindset of current times. You know, it's, just, it's a different time. It's a different era. But these men really, they grew up with, uh, you know, they, they grew up with the knowledge of what happened just a couple of decades early in World War II. You know, it was the greatest generation. Uh, and they saw how the, those veterans were treated. And, and I think they felt that's what you do. You serve your country. You do it honorably. And then you come back and you work hard for your family. And that was sort of what my uncle, that was his plan. You know, that was exactly what he intended to do. You know, unfortunately, he was killed in Vietnam. But it, it, it's truly uh, an amazing thing to think about how these men enlisted. And they knew what they were getting into. Because even in the late 60s, people knew what Vietnam was about and how deadly and how bloody it was. And they didn't think twice about going in and serving the country. And you kind of get the, the sense of, uh, of trepidation and anxiety. Uh, you know, you're trying to serve, you're trying to survive, and you are trying to make it back home, and the odds are against you. Uh, can't wait to read it in full. Ralph Morales, uh, the name of the book, ladies and gentlemen, is Saints Letters from the Depths uh, of Hell. Uh, Ralph, can't thank you enough for popping on with us here. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Ralph. Good stuff there. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to reading that. Uh, Captain, uh, just like that, can you give us any update on Liver Fluke? Where are we at with this? Speaking of Tom Swazi and speaking of getting nothing done in Washington, it's not on, all on upon uh, Congressman Swazi, but this is what happens right now. But uh, are there any updates regarding this, Bill? I, I call his office every Monday, and again, I call this Monday, and I was told I'll have an answer by Tuesday. I wanted to give a brief on the show, and I, I've gotten nothing. So it's it's that way. Just one bright bright spot, though, Jay. You know, uh, Micah, please, from Tom DiNapoli's office, any time you call this man with an issue, it gets taken care of. We had a, a homeless vet just got back into the workforce. His registration had expired. He has absolutely no money. We were paying it. They actually called a DMV and gave him a three-month um, three extension. So there are good elected officials out there that when you call them, they act immediately. And, and, and you know, Tom, Tom DiNapoli's office and Micah Police constantly are acting on the, uh, uh, they, they help veterans. I mean, this is, this is what it's all about. People who um, get things done and then there are other people who, you know, just get uh, admired as far as uh, anonymity is concerned. Sad. You know, and it's it's just sad. It's just the world we live in. And, of course, a, a big thanks to Bill Monsoros as usual, right, with the webcast and everything. Oh, Bill's the best. Great guy. Yeah. You're a great guy, too. You know what, Jay, Listen, I want to be like you. You know that. Nah, I tell you every day. Stop. Just stop <laughs> right now, all right? Because this is radio, and you got me blushing right now. Yeah. So, listen to me. How you feeling? Uh, you st- I feel great. COVID negative. Uh, COVID negative last week. 
And now I could have that long-awaited sports hernia surgery, <laughs> which I will have right after the show, by the way. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been like hell, but, um, you know, we're coming to the end of the road here, so that's a good thing. Uh, good stuff, sir. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, all right? Yeah, don't forget, Jay, if you could just put it out again, uh, the Heroes Rally, 31st of July, Miller's House parking lot. Millersale, Comac, Vets Highway, folks, be there at 5 o'clock. Great cause. Uh, embrace our law enforcement, okay? Embrace them because it's well needed. They deserve it. Well, you know, Jay, Can't thank me, you enough. I'm sorry. Ahead, buddy. The young lady, Deanna, who was arrested by Mayor Wilhelm, uh, a.k.a. de Blasio, uh, actually is coming there to speak. She's the one who painted the blue line in New York City. I wish I could be there for them. I'll be there for the next one, I promise. You stay well, stay healthy, and, um, and to the family as well. You too, sir.